This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. To Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast which focuses on playing Warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, Petey Pob, in a brand new venue, my bedroom. I had to move from the dining room table where I normally record to the bedroom, so if you hear cats meowing uh, or shouting, that's that's it. Um, also, if you hear other things, random vibrations, uh, funny noises, funny smells, just ignore that. It's just, it's just part of the atmosphere. I like it. It's home. Anyways, with me I have Mr. Abuse Puppy Sean. Ironically, I am also recording from a new location, but it is actually Petey Pob's dining room. So we're kind of <laughs> playing merry-go-rounds here. <laughs> and uh, Matt, oh, I already forgot his last name, Bodnarchuk. There you go, yeah. you got her. Boom. Uh, Matt, uh, he won second best overall at the Las Vegas Open this year. He is a dedicated Salamanders player and a Canadian for those of you who think that's that information is important, two equally rare qualities in one. Yeah, uh, Canadian forty k players are pretty rare on the scene. <laughs> They're starting to come out of the woodwork now, though. Yeah, Val uh, has really brought you guys to the forefront. I think Val is the most famous forty k Canadian. I think he beat Dan Platt already. Ooh, yeah. Uh, all right, so today's episode, uh, we're going to be talking about the ITC Hobby Track. Uh, you see, Matt won the the second best overall at the Las Vegas Open with an army he didn't paint, though Matt has a lot of very good opinions about the ITC hobby track and winning best overall with an army that you didn't paint. And I think it's worth a listen to. Uh, we're also going to talk to Matt a little bit about his history. Uh, he is very much a 40K hobbyist, a hobby enthusiast, so to speak. Um, and I think he's a very relatable guy, and he's got a lot of interesting stuff to say. Uh, we're also going to talk about narrative games. Uh, we... Or specifically, I got a request from a viewer, a listener, who wanted us to talk about tactics and strategies in narrative campaigns and in narrative games. And I thought it was a really interesting point because I've played, I myself have been in a lot of narrative games, and there is definitely a different meta or a different vibe tactically to narrative campaigns versus competitive tournament games. Uh, it's not that one is more casual or the other. It's actually quite the opposite. I think narrative campaigns are equally are as equally competitive and grinding and grueling as a uh, competitive 40k tournament. Uh, the, the format is just different. It's just a different game entirely. Um, but people take narrative campaigns very seriously, uh, or they can anyways. Um, and I, th I think it's something that we could definitely talk about. So that's what we're going to talk about in the back half of the episode. And in the front half of the episode, we're going to talk about the ITC hobby track. Uh, I also have one announcement before we begin. 
the we're moving the schedule we're moving the show to tuesday nights instead of mondays uh this is two parts um one we feel like it's a lot easier to talk about tournament coverage the monday after so we'll be able to get you guys the most up-to-date tournament coverage every episode no matter what we're just going to record monday hit all the tournament talk that monday and then it'll go up that night so it'll be monday at midnight instead of sunday at midnight so it's or actually tuesday at midnight you, you guys get the point point is it's going to come out uh the monday following the weekend uh and there should be a lot of good coverage um also reese wanted me to move it to tuesday i'm not sure why he wanted it to move a little closer to signals i think he's getting arrogant about the numbers i think he's he thinks signals can compete with chapter tactics by the way that is not the case at all yeah (laughs) um no one even cares about signals who even listens to that thing i actually i listen to signals every day because i have to because they record in my workspace (laughs) <laughs> so you, it's more you're forced to listen to. Yeah, yeah. So if, if you ever if you ever panned the camera maybe five feet to the left, uh, you would just see me working on my computer, occasionally laughing because <laughs> Signals is actually a really funny show. Just so, photobomb those guys once in a while. I, I you know what? I'm ter- I'm terrified to. Um, maybe one day if I ever plan on quitting, or if I ever plan on moving on to a better job, uh, there's not very many better jobs. So this is a this is an extremely <laughs> rare circumstance. Um, I might do it just to mess around, um, but but for now, every time I cough, Reese, Reese gives me like death glares. They're just they're instant. They're very hard to catch on camera. But if you ever see them, you know it's like Petey Pop doing something that that's uh, messing up the set, which which I guess is fair. You know you don't want to you want to keep it pro- you know kind of professional. Yeah. Anyways, kind of ta- professional is how we roll. <laughs> that's that's enough for the shit talk on signals from the front line. Um, speaking of signals from the front line and frontline gaming. I, I want to talk about our sponsors at the beginning of the episode because I always forget. And I always talk about them at the end. Uh, go to frontlinegaming.org if you want to par- purchase Games Workshop product, ITC terrain, secondhand models if you want to sell or buy secondhand models, and uh, FLG mats. So go there. And also, if you're looking for some cool templates for your 40k tournaments, NISNIS, uh, go to brokenegames.com. There's a link in the notes on frontlinegaming.org in the blog posts for this podcast. Just click that link purchase something it helps us out and it also gets you some cool swag so there you go all right matt yes are you ready i'm ready let's do it okay why are you playing salamanders why am i playing <laughs> salamanders well i guess to start off with i'm hoping that they may may one day get a primark uh come back to them even though i think that uh is probably a long road away but i mean no, <laughs> They're one of the ones who has a living Primarch, so that puts you ahead of a couple of the legions and chapters. In theory. <laughs> In theory. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Um, so I guess we can start off. Um, my Salamander army was painted by a, well, I would say, a well-known painter back in the day. Um, his name was uh, Scott Bowser. He was That a, was his oh, name. Oh, yeah. Or is his name. Um, he no longer paints uh, miniatures, I don't believe, though. Um, he was a Golden Demon winner multiple mm-hmm. times. Um, so I guess I could tell you a little bit about myself then. Um, I kind of I started playing 40K when I was a kid, like 12 years old. And I've been playing 40K with some of my best friends ever since. We all started playing together. And we all built and painted and all did all that stuff growing the hobby, as you do when you're a kid. And... You play with the salt shakers and all that stuff. Um, so all of our painting talents kind of grew at the same level. 
also was into sports. And as I got older, I kind of moved on to different things. And a couple of my friends continued on. Um, so it wasn't until I was about 18 years old and I moved down to Vancouver, BC. And I was living with a good friend of mine, George Thompson, who turned out to be an amazing painter. Um, so now I'm getting back into the hobby and I'm playing with guys that um, have beautifully painted armies. And I'm kind of looking looking at my own stuff now and I'm like, it's not really up to date. I'm playing Eldar, they're old models. Um, and I'm really jealous. Um, and the kind of the, the group that I was playing with, they were kind of hobby snobs, to be honest. Um, <laughs> if you weren't playing painted models and they weren't based and stuff, they really were not relevant. And it didn't matter how much pride you took in your army. Um, it kind of just didn't matter. You'd still take heat for it. And it was all, all in fun and games, I guess. But uh, I'm a pretty competitive person by heart. And uh, I love the models. And I started paying uh, my buddy to paint for me because I could no longer keep up. Um, so that went on for a few years. And uh, I moved on again. And I moved back to my hometown of Trail, where I live now. And was no longer playing 40K because there's nobody to play with. Well, in the recent years, the last four years, everybody has moved home. And now the 40K community here is like fairly strong. Um, and again, I only have what I have that was painted for me. Um, and I refuse to play with models that were not painted to that top tier level. So I'm on eBay one day and I'm looking around for, for an army to buy myself. And, you know, they have the airbrush armies on on eBay, they come around pretty often and they're not really top quality. And I stumbled across this army that was a salamander army. And it was mostly bikes and it was this was still like fifth edition. And uh, <laughs> I'm like, wow, I'm like, I opened up the files and I'm like, these are really well painted. Um, so I dug a little bit more and it was a fairly expensive army at the time for me. I was like, it was like $1,200 to buy this. And it came all in a battle mm -hmm. foam case. And it was about 3,000 points painted. A couple land raiders, a couple land speeders, tons of bikes. So I'm like, you know what? I don't care if never bought anything on eBay like this before. I went for it. I'm like, hopefully this guy doesn't rip me off. <laughs> so I purchased the army. And it shows up. And I am in awe of what I have purchased. I could not believe the quality of the army that I was looking at. Um, so I unpacked it. It was all there. And I started digging a bit. I'm like, hey, man, like, did you paint this stuff? And he's like, no, no. I had this army commissioned for me uh, a few years ago, but I need the money. I need to, to cash out. I said, okay, well, do you know who painted it? Because I'd like to get it, some more stuff done. And then he told me who painted it. So I contacted uh, Scott. And uh, he was still in business, and uh, he was, yeah, I'd be more, more than willing to paint some more stuff for you. Um, whatever happened, I never heard back from Scott. So now I've got this Salamander <laughs> army that is now a perfect white scar army for 7th edition. And uh, <laughs> so it counts get, as. Counts as emerald scars. That's what I was running it as. Uh -huh. And um, yeah, so anyways, that is why I play Salamanders now. It just so happens that Salamanders got a really wicked codex, in my opinion. They got really good chapter tactics. I and think they have the best chapter tactic out of the whole Space Marine codex. Yeah, it's really I, good. I would agree. Um, there's definitely specific units that are really good. Um, but again, like I've always been like a, a Space Marine player. I love them. And uh, Salamanders, it just kind of fits for me now. Because I actually did sell the army for about $2,500 
Um, I made a thousand bucks off it a, about, a, I don't know, a year after I bought it, regretted well, it ever since. And I was able to purchase the army back once I'd say halfway through seventh edition. And, oh, uh, wow. And then I started playing competitively, going to the bigger tournaments down in Spokane. And now I'm, I've basically committed to doing my best in the ITC now because I'm just in love with the hobby again. Like this is, this is what it is. And I, I think okay. that's really interesting because uh, a stereotype you see about people, you describe yourself as very competitive, and according to the internet, competitive players don't care how their army looks. But I find that's very rarely true. A lot of competitive players want to have really good-looking armies because they go around to a lot of tournaments, and they see a lot of people, and they want people to like their army. Um, so I think that folks like you, folks who, who want to play not just strong games but also with a really good looking army are more more common than people think is that yeah. your experience as well you know and and honestly sean i don't i have zero shame in playing an army that i have not painted if you, oh sure if you have a problem with the army that i did not paint that i am playing well i, I think that's on you because overall it makes your gaming experience better when i show up to the table with my army it does not yeah. matter how i got it but it's there and, and so long as you're you're honest about that sort of thing, who cares who painted it? Oh, you know, yeah. lots of people buy models secondhand. What's the difference? So, like, I guess that's the misconception, right? Like, I'm not walking around with a sign on my back saying, I didn't paint my army. Yeah. The logo on my back, on my shirt, says, play painted or die. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, in reality, <laughs> like, I, I'm the first person to say, yeah, I didn't paint that, but it's amazing. And I have no problem painting it. So, or playing with it, sorry. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's always kind of been there. Like, I'm I'm gonna get a Facebook message about this eventually from him. I'm sure. Um, but if you look at Sean Naden, right? Sean Naden won best overall this year, uh, and I made a terrible mistake. Here's, here's a bit of an anecdote. Um, I looked at Sean Naden's army from a far distance, from like several several PD pop lengths away, right? <laughs> uh, and I don't have my glasses on, so I'm at LVO and I see Sean Naden's list, and it just looks gray, right? You know, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, okay. He's, of course, he brought because the year previous year he'd brought barely painted Sylvaneth conversions for his Eldar army in seventh edition. You guys remember mm -hmm. that? Yeah, it's awful. Oh, yeah. Got a lot of flack. Um, you, you know, these weren't like gorgeously painted Sylvaneth models. These were like almost three color minimum. You know, models like right? they 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 just didn't look as good as they should have been. Um, and and I hope you can at least agree to that. I'm sure I might get something like, ah, Pablo had actually had five highlights. Um, <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, whatever. <laughs> but the, the the point being is is I expected the same thing out of Sean Naden the year before, and that that's where where uh, my foot tasted my foot. And it tasted lovely because I, I told Sean I was like, you you know, um, you didn't bother painting your army this year again. Uh, and he was like, actually, Pablo. <laughs> Um, it's painted pretty well. I'm actually, I'm a painter. Um, and he is, he's, it, they were painted actually really well. Uh, and, and I, I forgot what I said exactly. I think it was something like, like you need to learn how to paint your army or something, something silly jokingly. And he's actually, I'm actually a really good painter. And then he won best overall at Delvio. As soon as he won best overall, as soon as he zipped up, he looked at me, came up to me and he was like, what's up? Like, you know, like I just won best overall. I was like, all right, you, Sean Naden, I, I, I was wrong. He proved me wrong. And then when we, we met ad again at Adepticon, he brought it up again. Um, and so I, I, I'm sure I've already formally apologized for it, but I will formally apologize again. Sean, you're actually a good painter. Like, that's <laughs> that's true. 
but the point, the reason why I'm bringing this up is there was this kind of stigma about competitive players and having painted armies. Um, and so what the reality is, is that competitive players actually want painted armies like that. Like they do, yeah. like they don't, they might not yeah. bring them, you know, you know, um, cause it's easier. Cause it, cause, and it is easy. It's, it's just like when you're in a relationship for a long time with like your, your computer or your, your Xbox or whatever. Um, or a physical person, but let, let's be real here. The real relationships are between electronics and humans now. Um, oh, yeah. But when you're in a relationship with something, you, you tend to take it for granted, right? I think that's kind of what happened in 7th edition. I think that, that there, there was a feeling that GW cared less about us and that tournament pl- organizers cared less about painting and, and, and appearance. Um, and, and it kind of showed because people were kind of like, well, I'm not going to put as much effort into painting my army because I, I want to be competitive. Cause that was, that was kind of the push in seventh edition was like competitive 40 K is here. It's here to stay or, you know, the IC is going to fix the, with the FAQ, it's going to fix 40 K and, and competitive players and tournament players are like real, like they, they exist. And um, eighth edition happened and, and JW was like, okay guys, we got it. You guys exist. There are people who play competitively. We understand. Um, so we're going to give you guys what you want. Now the competitive players are like, Oh, great. So I'm, I'm going to start playing now, and they're like, oh, I completely, in the, this mad rush to build a battle company, I completely forgot to paint my army. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and the evidence shows that. Like, for those of you who might be thinking, like, oh, tournament players have never cared about their models, never cared about their painted armies, just look at the SoCal Open. 300 people showed up to SoCal mm-hmm. Open. Uh, it was the first tournament of its kind um, since, I, I don't know how long. It's definitely the first tournament in 8th edition to implement a, a strict, if your army's not painted, models are going to get pulled policy and and there was zero backlash even from the people who brought unpainted models there were a few people there were a few people who, who brought unpainted models and got and got their models pulled um as a matter of fact one person got pretty much completely disqualified because most of his army is unpainted even those people weren't mad weren't upset you, you know they might have been a little at the beginning because because who wouldn't be because you know you show up and and, and, and you show up and you expect to play and, and then it doesn't happen. But they got surprised and they ended up eventually owning up to their mistake. And across the board, people all over the U.S., all over the world, were emailing us and messaging us and saying, you know, praising us for the decision we made, uh, you know, to to pull models and, and make sure to present a, a perfect or pretty hobby, a per, pretty painted model picture at the tournament. And ever since then, I, I mean... It's been growing more and more, and you don't hear tournament players complaining at all, right? So it's it, it's it's kind of always been there. So I, I guess the point is is that um, I know Sean, I know you want to talk. Uh, I guess the point <laughs> is, is that player play, people like Matt um, have always been around and have always wanted painted models, um, and now I guess the hobby track is is bringing out a new competitiveness to it, and the tournament players want in. Go ahead, Sean. Yeah, I was I was gonna just gonna say that like it's I think that's always like you say it's always been there, but especially like we see it more now because people can play the armies they want. Like you know, Matt wants to play Salamanders. That's a legitimate choice in Eighth Edition. That's true. That's also very very true. Yeah. Um. So if I can comment on that, actually. Absolutely. Um, so my army was a Seventh Edition army. Like I was running all bikes, and that's what my mm-hmm. army was. And when mm-hmm. the eighth came out, I was looking at my army and saying, "Well, I can't really play any of this stuff now. I can, but it's it's not competitive." Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm looking at starting another army now at like being at eighth, and I'm like, "What can I do?" And I made the I made a decision that I wanted to run a salamanders army that was competitive, and I was going to try and figure out a way to make that happen, and I was going to continue on getting my stuff painted if I could. 
because mm-hmm. I could have started any army at that point. I could have went Dark Elder or Elder or whatever the current meta was. But again, like you, it's like you said, Pablo, that like you grow, kind of get an attachment to your models. Like they become, um, like they're what is the word I'm looking for? Like you have, uh, you just grow attached to them. You, you, you just, know, you yeah, just, you, you grow attached. Yeah, you want to use them. Like, if my house was on fire, the only thing I would grab would probably be my Warhammer models. You know what I mean? And the yeah. dogs. No, I, so I understand. I won't say I've never th- had that thought before. It's like, <laughs> this place catches a blaze. What are the two things I throw out the window? Oh, my hard drive and my <laughs> Warhammer models. Exactly, you know? And then, so I did. That's what I had decided. I was like, you know what? I'm going to continue. I'm going to play Salamanders. and do the best I can. And the day that I win a GT playing Salamanders is going to be a a day I'll be proud. I and, I think yeah. that day is going to come sooner or later. I, uh, I, Eighth you know, edition really makes it possible to win with a lot of armies. Yeah, it sure does. And like I've never beat Sean before, but I just played Sean at Boise, the Boise Cup. Yeah. And, you know, like that was a that was a big day. I felt like I had achieved something that I had beaten two players of that tournament that I have never even come close to beating before. <laughs> so I will. Second player. Uh, Chris and Broxton was playing Custodes. Oh yeah, my list should not have beaten that army, and I, <laughs> I tabled them. So okay, so so let's let's rewind a little bit. Um, uh, I don't want to transition quite yet into the hobby track. Uh, let's talk about your list. Um, what did you bring to the LVO, and how did you what uh, competitively? What was your record by the end of the okay the sure um, weekend? I had uh, really good matchups at the LVO, um, but my list was uh, Fire Raptor, two Preds with blast cannons, um. Two attack bikes, a Leviathan Dreadnought, Captain on a Bike, a Lieutenant, a Punisher, a Rapier Heavy Bolter, and five Scouts with Bolters. I believe that was all of my list. That is a hodgepodge of... That That sounds like someone who bought a bunch oh. of really expensive lots on eBay just put all of their stuff together. <laughs> they're like, I'm just going to run all this cool Forge World stuff. You know what? I actually put a lot of thought and planning into that list. I believe um, you. I did, you know, for running Space Marines. And, like, the Leviathan was still fairly new at that point. Um, that guy's a beast. He is. He's really good. And, uh, um, again, like, I do – I am competitive. But every time I come to the table, I want to make sure that my main goal is that you have a good time. Um, mm-hmm. My sportsmanship is, like, overall is what is important to me. So getting second overall was a big deal for me. But, anyway, um, so that was my list. Uh, my first game, I, I drew Custodes, um, and he had two of the venerable Land Raiders, and oh. uh, he was he was pretty confident. The guy, nice guy, um, but oh. he was very confident that that game was not going to go the way it did, and uh, he thought those <laughs> Land Raiders were extremely uh, invincible. I would use the, is the word I would mm, use. Yeah, and, they just aren't, they especially aren't. not against something hard hitting like salamanders. Well, and at the those time, salamanders I, like melta guns just ruin them. <laughs> and like, I only had two preds. I couldn't run kill shot, but those predators still open yeah. those things up like they weren't yep. even there. So um, hitting on threes, wound on threes, rerolling. <laughs> so it was a good. I I, I uh, it was a good game. We had a drink, and uh, it was over pretty quick. And then uh, my second game was against Dark Angels, and um, I have stated uh, other places that I think Dark Eldar is the best codex, but easily the best army I have ever played was Dark Angels in this edition. Hmm. Um, and I really don't think it was the player. I just think that list was out of control. 
Um, it was the land speeder list with uh, three of the uh, the talons, the dark talons. Oh, talon masters. Yeah. yeah. And um, so the the talons were like minus two to hit first turn, and they're behind a building. Um, yeah. And I actually blew all three up first turn. Um, wow. I have no idea how I did it. And the guy was like, "Well, the game's over." And I was like, "Hey, man, like, don't worry about it. Like, let's just let's just like finish the game. Like, you could still get lots of points." And he ended up turning around and tabling me at the end of the game. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Yeah, it was, uh, it was not good. But uh, that's Some, just the way it sometimes goes sometimes. it doesn't go the way you think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a nice guy. Um, and I was like kind of wishing at the end. I was like, oh, man, I wish I just, should just let him KO <laughs> give up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, it was fun. And then I played Paul Murphy my third game. Ooh. And uh, he played Blood Angels. And his list looked a lot like mine, except it was red. <laughs> uh, it was pretty well painted and i actually had no idea who he was when i got to the table um and i was a little annoyed because this was right after the the app had kind of failed there crashed and i've oh, been yeah. waiting in line for an hour to get beers and uh <laughs> like there's one one bartender for like thousands of people and you're waiting in line to get drinks so i eventually yeah. got to the table and uh we had a good game um his list was pretty hard hitting um i just I too much firepower in my list i think a lot of people underestimated how much firepower my list did produce just by looking at it mm-hmm. um but it was a good game uh i ended up that was my biggest game i think i won 40 to 12 that game so now wow. on day one i'm two and one um oh. feeling pretty good we went out and enjoyed the the city for a bit and then i woke up hung over the next day and, like you do. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I looked at the app, and I'm playing five Fire Raptors, a Baden, and two squads of Brimstones, and uh, a bunch of Nerdlings. Yeah. And I was like, I have one Fire Raptor. It's the best thing on my list. Um, <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to beat five of them, but uh, so I showed up, and the guy was running a Nurgle Fire Raptor list. He was from uh, Team Warthog down, yeah. uh, down south. He was a really nice guy. Um and I was it up, Trent Northington? It wasn't Trent. No, it was, it was, uh, was the, another Team Warhawk. Uh, Joseph uh, Hula, I think his name is. But yeah, he oh, was. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. He was a he was a good player. Um, it just so happened uh, I seized on him. I killed mm. one Fire Raptor and wounded another. Um, the next his turn, he focus fired on the Leviathan for whatever reason. Didn't kill it, and then I tabled him at the Ooh. end of the next game. Or next turn. Wow. Um, I a bad in, a game ended with a bad in charging, uh, I believe, into a hovering uh, fire raptor, and he died to Overwatch. Yikes! So that was another big game for me. So now I'm now I'm three and one, and I'm like on top of the world because I just beat a list that I thought was not even possible to beat. So, <laughs> um, and then I played an Ultramarines player. Um, his name is mm-hmm. Matthew Helm. He was He's a good. pretty good player. He was yeah. a great player, actually. Um, so now that I the Dark Angels was the best list that I had played, Matthew Helm was the best player that I've played in Eighth Edition, in my opinion. He the game he gave me was like incredible. Um, we played on a fairly uh, we played Vanguard and it was a, a lot of terrain, um, but it wasn't so much that I couldn't handle. I felt like I had the best deployment, um, and I really didn't even know what Killshot did. Uh, I hadn't really looked at it too much, um, but he was running Gullyman. Uh, he had three predators, a bunch of aggressors, and some intercessors. Mm-hmm. Um, so he got first turn, or I got first turn. Sorry, didn't kill anything. 
he went kill shot blew up my fire raptor and a predator um so now i'm like seriously down and uh sorry one thing i did but i forgot to mention my my list is i had a squad of uh thunderhammer terminators which everybody oh, laughed right. at everyone yeah. laughed at that because you were running like 10 of them weren't you no like i only big... had five of them oh it's I just had, the five man i had okay. five man unit um but everybody every time i dropped them on the table everybody laughed at me so <laughs> <laughs> they're like oh yeah right on like put them wherever you want i don't care and uh so what ended up happening was um all my shoot big shooting stuff was pretty much gone except my leviathan and my punisher and i dropped my thunderhammer terminators at his predator line with gullyman and i i made a I rolled box guards for my charge and i tied everything up and i was able to kill the predators and then ended up losing all my terminators um <laughs> But at that point, that had changed the game for me because now I had all my big shooty stuff like the Punisher and Leviathan wiping up the rest of his infantry and stuff. And yeah. at, at the end of the game, we were going, we were pretty tight in points, but I think I ended up winning by four points. And he was just, he couldn't believe what happened. Like, he, I stole the game from him. And uh, yeah. I, he's like, well, those Terminators, man. And he's actually a big Washington Capitals hockey fan. And I'm a big Pittsburgh Penguins fan. I got a tattoo on my leg. Uh, and he was wearing like a dead Penguin shirt when I first got to the table. And it was like, that set the tone because like we were chirping each other a bit. And uh, it was a great game. That guy is an unreal player though. Like he was just, every move that he made was so well thought out. And uh, I really didn't deserve to win. But Yeah, uh, well, his list, uh, I'm actually looking at both your lists. I'm actually surprised because you beat him 26 to 20. Uh, Matt's list is actually, other than the Predators, yeah. uh, unless he gets up the field in your face and starts killing all your big things, um, your list actually does really well and gets the majority of his list. Yeah. Like, if you look at the, he's got uh, 15 Primaris Aggressors, all with Bolt Storm Gauntlets. Yeah. And if you look at your list, the only thing that those kill efficiently is Scouts. Right. Yeah, and that's what he was, the only thing he could basically get in range of was the Scouts, yeah. too. So um, the yeah. one thing that did happen in that game, which I didn't, I felt like I blocked my, my backfield really well, but mm-hmm. he dropped a, a shield captain in the back and I didn't even look at his list and I didn't know he had it. Mm. And I was like, oh no, because the base was so small on it and he dropped it right behind right where my chapter master was. Uh. And he honestly, I think if he would have risked it in the charge, he probably would have been able to beat me if he'd went over the, after the right target. And maybe that was the mistake he made. So all right, uh, and then and then finally you played Keith Barry uh, from Relentless D, Mister Mister Keith Barry with the uh, an Eldari list. I think he was running pure Eldar. I mean, I think everyone was running pure Eldar back then. Yeah, so he, you know, Yanari, but yeah, Yanari, yeah, yeah. And, you know, fair enough. And I had never played Eldar, and like so this became like my matchups were really good for me during LVO. Uh, I hadn't I dodged all the Eldar players, but when I got to that table and I looked at his list. I thought I had a very good chance of winning that game. Okay. Um, and it was, it turned out that we rolled quarters and they had like this huge cathedral in the middle of the board. And after I, after like the deployment, I was like, okay, chance of me winning this game just went from like, fairly good to not very good at all. Um, Cause now I can't see any of his army and he's got the Reaper uh, X arches that are firing and killing all of my stuff. And he doesn't even need line of sight. So, um, the first yeah. two turns were pretty rough and then stacked with, I was rolling awful. Um, I couldn't like with the, the quad air heavy bolter there, I couldn't kill uh, a swooping Hawk squad for like four turns. I uh, just shooting at it. I couldn't kill him. They only had five of them. It's getting like 48 shots. I couldn't kill him. <laughs> and uh, it was a good game. Um, he was a nice guy. 
a couple of his models, like like there was one thing, like all of his Reapers didn't have bases on them. Um, huh. I, I, he had mentioned that uh, there was some. He kicked his models or something, and all the bases were gone. And I was like, whatever, it's it's fine. Like my my one buddy was like, maybe you should get them pulled off the board. I'm like, oh, I'm not gonna win like that, man. I, I think I can beat him. So appreciate appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> I'm not uh, I'm not gonna bother doing that. Um, but it was a good game. He was a good guy. Um, I think I did get a, quite a few points in that uh, that game. Still, it wasn't like a blow. Hate to, hate to break it to you, hate to break it to you, buddy. But um, the score was uh, thirty-four to fourteen. Okay, then yeah, no, I didn't get yeah. that many points. It was fourteen. not still, terrible. It wasn't it wasn't brutal. It wasn't like the the points that Sean and Kristen got against me this weekend last weekend. But ah, uh, true. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was ugly. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so so let's uh let's talk about um the the uh, Boise Cup um, and your progression into the hobby track. Uh, so, so at the Boise Cup, did you play the same list? So, uh, I'm assuming um, you played a similar list. Similar. I uh, once I realized how crazy Killshot was, I ended up putting the Third Predator in my mm-hmm. list. Um, it is my my foundation's the same. I got the the captain on the bike, lieutenant, scouts, three preds. Um, I played a knight because I wanted to see how well it would do. And I dropped the Fire Raptor, even though I have been running it after the points change, because I think it's still viable. I think that now I need to put a knight into my list because um, I just if the knight the knights get too close, then I lose. I need to You're, have some. And counter. you were running the knight gallant, weren't you? I was running a gallant. Yeah. Yeah. And I was giving him the iron bulwark, and uh, which is honestly which won me my games. I thought he was useless yeah. in my other games, and he was stellar in my games that i did win so um yeah it's pretty much the similar list or same list i'm gonna continue to run it through the rest of the year um the only thing i'd like to change is uh i'm gonna add another contemptor dreadnought to it i think um and i might drop the two rapiers um i added two rapier batteries heavy boulders i know everybody tells me i suck and i should be running um (laughs) the indirect fire ones but i like what i like and i play what i like so i really don't care Honestly, honestly, yeah, honestly, honestly, I think those those quad heavy bolter rapiers are no joke. They yeah, put out a lot of shots. They do, especially when you're rerolling your hits um, yep. in my bubble, right? So, I, but I think I will drop those for another Punisher and, and add the Contemptor. Hmm. So, I'm still fighting right now uh, with points, and it's like a daily struggle for me. That's all I can think about is <laughs> point. Uh, like everybody the curse else, of the competitive player. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I have a good, I have a fairly good job, so I have a lot of time, downtime to just think about and crunch numbers on a on a napkin, write numbers down all day, and I always come around to the same list that I'm running. But uh, <laughs> it is what it is. But uh, sorry, Paul. Yeah, get, getting back to the Boise Cup. Um, going into the Boise Cup, I was uh, first in Space Marines for Hobby Track. Um, you still are. I still am, um, and. To be honest, the, it really opened my eyes going to the Boise Cup. Um, and I, I'm at the risk of sounding uh, like I maybe a bit of a snob. Um, I felt like th- there's two ways you can kind of run the hobby track. And the Boise Cup, it was player vote, right? So it's favorite mm-hmm. army. Everybody votes for it. Um, and I did okay. I think I, I came fourth overall or fifth overall. Are there, um, and I fly, I fly down with my my display board and stuff, and everything's got a great place. And I think my army looks really good. Like I don't think I need to change anything that way. Um, 
but there was a lot of armies that were there that I would say were not painted nearly as good, but beat me in the hobby track. Um, yeah, salamanders, they're not as flashy looking as some armies. Your army is technically, you know, really great looking. It's obviously yes. very well painted, but it does not jump out the same way that some armies can, which can sometimes hurt you. Um, Carl Payne, who is also fighting for hobby track with uh, stuff, he used to run Imperial Fists and kind of had the same problem. Is like, even though it is very technically difficult to paint, you know, the really nice transition yellows or something like that, that's not something a lot of people will actually notice in many cases, which is kind of unfortunate. Yeah. It, uh, uh, go ahead, Matt. Uh, and then I, I got some stuff I'm going to add to all this. So Colin Ward was there. Um, his stuff is awesome. It's painted yeah. awesome. Um, he didn't have a display board per se. He just had a board that had some texture and color on it. Um, the, and he won the, the uh, he won best painted. Um, and the girl that won best overall, her name was Isabella Humphreys. Um, mm-hmm. is who, that's who I voted for as my favorite army. Columns was yeah, second. she's a beautiful elder army. It's great. It's, it's, it's pretty fantastic. It's, yeah. And, it, and like Sean says, it jumps out at you. It, you look at it and you can see it across the room and you were like, I need to go take a look at what that is. Yeah. Um, again, Colin is a great painter. I actually went up and talked to him and introduced myself and I was like, Hey man, like I follow your stuff. Like it's, it's really good. Um, and then Mike Giannone. Mike Giannone is at every tournament I go to, it seems like. And his stuff, he's got something new every time, and it always looks good. And he always does well. Um, and he's he's going to be, I think he could be, if he hits enough tournaments, he could be a, com- a competitor for top uh, hobby track this year. Um, yeah, there's a lot of people who are uh, clawing their way up the rankings these days. I think it's really interesting to see. And like the whole, t- like I know I don't know if you want to get in the hobby track now, Pablo, or do you want to save it for a little? Uh, I'll uh, yeah, I'll, I'll um I'll introduce it. I got some stuff to add to all this. Okay, perfect. Um, but yeah, the Boise Cup is a great tournament. Um, the hobby Fantastic. there was yeah. I thought it was really good. There wasn't too many armies that didn't have a lot of effort into them. Um, honestly, like there were some crazy things that I saw that like like conversions and stuff. And uh, there's a lot of really good players, and um, I'd never been there before, but I'm going to go back next year, I think, if I'm able yeah. to. Aaron is really, uh, he he's really come through on his promise of making, like, a premier tournament. Is He wants all the turn- tables to look good, he wants the armies to look good, he wants the space to be really fun and usable, and for everyone to have a good time, and, and honestly, I think he succeeded. Yeah. Uh, even yeah. though I didn't do nearly as well as I had hoped, I had some pretty bad dice and some just stupid mistakes at times, but I still had a great time. Yeah, and yeah. Like, that venue is ridiculous. That is, it was a fantastic. Yeah, wicked store and venue. So, all right. So, um, <clears throat> Matt touched on some interesting topics. That I think we definitely want to expand on. Um, I want to give a brief overview before we actually go into this because um, there's a there's actually a lot to uncover about um what Matt said and what we've been talking about. Um but to to uh to go a little bit further, uh Matt specifically one thing jumped out at me and that was when Matt talked about the uh the voting, the player voting versus uh a, like a grading rubric or or judge voting. Um and that's actually I think that's one of the big problems I have with the hobby track. And uh 
and for those of you guys who are listening, don't tell anyone. I just told thousands of people this, um, and I'm allowed to disagree. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, easily. Um, um, I'm allowed to disagree with my boss on occasion, but I just I feel like the hobby track isn't. It, it can't be taken seriously this year because there's no universal, you know, grading system for the hobby track, and it's unfortunate because I, I really I like the idea of the hobby track, um, but that that'll always be a problem with painting. Is I feel is out, there, there's always going to be some sort of there's no universalness to it. Um, it's it's uh, the whole thing, the whole idea of grading by painting is is highly subjective. Um, oh yeah, one hundred percent. Right, right, exactly. Just like you saw, it, I remember uh, at a um, at a tournament. I'm, I'm not going to name the tournament, but uh, Frankie Frankie had uh, uh, his Minotaur's army, which was gorgeously painted uh, at the time, had freehand work um, by a rubric scale would do very, very well. Uh, he lost best overall to a player with unpainted models in the army um, who, wow. who objectively, yeah. who I feel like objectively had a worse looking army um, having seen it in person and seen Frankie's army in person. Now uh, there, there, there's definitely a lot more to that than, than maybe just painting. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know the politics behind it. I don't, there, there's, but that's the problem is, is there shouldn't be right. There should be an objective. This is, this is how many points your army scored based off of how well you painted, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's not the case. And there's also no standard, too. Like, for example, if you go to a tournament where they don't grade you based off your display board, you could spend more time on your display board, painting up the display board, getting this beautiful display board. But if they're not going to count your display board, then then you might as well just spend more time, like, wet blending or, or doing something else to your army, adding freehand um, to give it more points. Because ultimately, you're going to lose that you're going to lose that tournament in terms of the hobby track. Um, you're going to lose that tournament, whereas if you go to a different tournament, you're going to win because of your display board. So that shouldn't be the case. And, and the reason why that's important is because I want to talk about time management. And if you, if you talk about competitive hobbying, uh, and I'm going to use my lowrider low knowledge because uh, it, it, once again, ties in perfectly to this entire thing. Uh, we have a competitive uh, lowrider car. It's a 64 Riviera. And we're we're constantly fighting for resources and, and time to to put into it to show it at the events uh, we recently won best in show best overall at a 700 car show here in san diego and the reason why we won solely is because we didn't show our undercarriage which is the bottom of the car and we didn't have a display so we were on on par the, our riviera our car can beat all the other cars on upholstery uh custom modifications and paint job we, we will we will beat anyone if you just grade our car based off of those three things, if you start adding undercarriage and you start ta- adding display uh, displays, we, we start to lose points because our undercarriage isn't as nice as all the other cars, right? So, and uh, uh, same thing with the hobby event. So, if if uh, if I have a display case, if I, I mean, if I have a display board, or if I don't have a display board, my army's better painted than an army that's slightly worse painted but has a display board that army that's worst painted is going to win and objectively they might not deserve it because they might not be the best painted army. Now all this is objective, of course. This is all assuming that there is uh, a universal objective best painted army, which I which is hard to judge. It's it's really really hard, right? Um so I just dumped a lot of stuff on you guys. <laughs> um I, I- I'm going to step in and play devil's advocate here. I sure, don't entirely disagree with you, but as the uh, the voice of Satan on the podcast, <laughs> I feel it's my duty to to, to kind of play the opposite point here. That's also true in the competitive gaming track for the ITC. Not yeah. all tournaments use the same missions. 
not all tournaments use the same standards of victory. Some run by win-loss, some by, run by battle points. Um, there are multiple ways to grade a competitive game experience in the game aspect, as well as the hobby aspect, and the fact that they are not standardized is something we live with anyways. So You, you are 100% correct, Sean, and I'm glad you went there, <laughs> because the counterpoint to that is that tournaments and win-loss records are already more objective than painting. So, so yeah. if if you even if you even if you uh, if you factor that in, you will still have someone who uh, like Sean Naden who wins across multiple formats because he's just a good player. Doesn't matter. He's and and you have a clear winner, a clear defined winner because you have win losses because that win losses is is how you objectively determine who is best, right? Whereas opposed to painting. Where it's it's not so clear cut because you don't you're not competing against other people's armies, um, you're you're kind of like like competing against judges. And I, I don't know. It's it's hard. It's not as objective. So it's it's a lot harder to determine the best, which I, which I think is why it's not as competitive. But but it yeah. should be. And Go ahead, Matt. I can comment on this now. So what you guys have just <laughs> described is you can't control what Adepticon does. You can't control what they do at the London GT. But what mm-hmm. you can do. Like as far as like competitive like gaming and missions, what you can do is set the standard for the hobby track in the community all around. Is if, if, if the front line says this is a dis- you need a display board and you get X amount of points for this based on the quality and time you put into it. So if you bring a board, a cardboard sheet, <laughs> and you get one point for that. If it's like looks, if it looks good, it's got some color and stuff, you get two. And if it's a, like amazing, like a whole bunch of work to it, you get three points. Just say that, right? You get points for conversions, you get points for painting, uh, you get points for basing, and if you guys were to, or Frontline as a whole, were to, say, design a rubric, and say, this is what we're looking for, and now it's up to the tournaments, if you want to participate in Hoppy Trap, this is the rubric that we're asking for, you're going to have it, man. And that's what people are going to build their armies to if they want to compete. And they're going to have that army at Adepticon, at the London GT, at uh, LVO. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the missions are because their army is going to look like that either way. You know what yeah, I mean? So. You're right. And, and that's, that's, something that, like, like, that's something that comes with an established hobbying like, uh, events and tournaments. Like in the lowrider scene, you have the lowrider of the year where it's, it's the lowrider that's paraded around all the car shows. It's won the most car shows. It's clearly like the best lowrider of the year. Um, and they put it on the front cover of the magazine. It's like it's a big deal, right? So, so like, the lowrider community has an objective best lowrider for the year. Um, it's it's kind of inter- it's kind of weird because there's like previous lowriders that like retire, so they don't count, so they're not competing, but they're still like objectively better. It's basically just like if you win, your your lowrider gets inducted inducted into like the lowrider hall of fame, where everyone knows it's like it won lowrider, like it was the best in in the year. Kind of like best pictures, right? Like we we know we we don't. It, it's impossible to determine what the best movie is ever, right? But there there's always a best picture every year, and and everyone can kind of look at it and go like, well, yeah, okay, like it it's definitely like top five. But we need something like that. We we need some like it. I'm not asking for a clear winner every year or a clear winner of all time. I'm just asking for like a clear winner every year. Like, and then we take pictures of the army and we show it off, and it's like this this big thing. 
Um, I think, but I don't think the hobby track's there yet. Go ahead. No, it, I do think Matt has a good point that um, the thing that Frontline and the ITC did very well in leading the change in the hobby and the competitive on the gaming side of things was that they set up a format, they set standards, and they said, this is how we will do it. You don't have to do it this way, but we think this is the best way to do it. Uh, you know, the ITC championships are not mandatory for an ITC tournament, but almost all competitive tournaments on the West Coast anyways, I know the East Coast and Europe and other places are different, uh, but for the West Coast at least, virtually all of the tournaments use the ITC champions missions. Why? Because people want to practice for the big ITC tournaments, uh, your Boise Cups, your Storms, your Harvesters, your BAOs and LVOs, uh, and because that people have largely accepted that, yes, this set of missions is better than most alternatives. Maybe not perfect, but better than most. And I think you could see the same thing come out of the hobby track, that, like Matt said, if Frontline introduces a painting rubric of their own and says, here is how we will score all, every, all the hobby track stuff, not necessarily everyone will use it, but it may become the standard that other tournaments and say we use the frontline gaming hobby retro hobby rubric only we change this one other thing because we think we it should be a little bit different here right. and that does set a a baseline that everyone can work from that you can get closer to an objective score on painting which i think painting is very hard to judge objectively art is very hard to judge objectively but you can get closer you know there's there, there's degrees of success. Yeah. Uh, now, I'm, I'm going to sidestep both of your assertions here, um, and uh, that's just because I I don't, I don't can't speak for the ITC. I can't... I, I agree with you guys to an extent. Um, I but just, you can't make an I, official I speak, pronouncement. <laughs> I can't speak for, for us. I can't speak for Frontline Gaming, the ITC. Um, I, I do think that someone else can also step up and do this, too. Uh, GW can do it as well, so I'm, I'm going to pass the buck there. Sure. Be like, you know, Anyone can can standardize it, and I think I think the hobby well, track might need it. I, um, I don't think anyone can. It needs to be a, okay, a tournament authority that has sufficient sway within the community to to make other people pay attention to what they do. If right. you know, if Boise Cup puts out their hobby track, no one has any reason to pay attention to that. It's a great tournament, but it's not a nationwide tournament. But Frontline Gaming, Games Workshop, Nova, Adepticon, these are tournaments that and organizations that have potentially enough pull to set the standard for everyone else. Right. I agree. I agree. Um uh, so so moving moving on from that, um I think you mentioned something uh, that I think we can talk about that highlights another problem with the hobby track, and that's the idea of uh, of uh, being objective and paint being yeah. objective. Uh, I I've always personally felt like we never actually take the hobby compet the comp competitive aspect of the hobby seriously, like at all, like ever, like we're, in terms of in terms of um competitive uh, hobbying and 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 uh, that aspect of of our of our game and our hobby I, I feel like we're amateurs like for example tournaments don't know although well, I would all, all argue... of them do like like even like the golden deal like across the board um i i feel and th this is this is something that might make the those communities upset and i do apologize um but if you compare if you compare the the um 
the our biggest paint comp- competitions to to like uh, car shows um, to uh, I guess other artsy competitions well, that's um, like not museum fair to like museum hobbies show. of that fair, size. fair 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 but I mean and obviously you'd make that same comparison reverse on tournament players like I get it we're not the NFL we're not poker the poker league i like i get that yeah there is always there is a level of amateurism that we have to just be okay with because we are a smaller community than the larger communities um but but the level the level is is so low but i feel like it needs addressing um specifically in our best overalls like uh, matt i'm you know i'm I'm very very happy that you won second best overall uh and that you won something you're recognized for your hard work for doing well and having a beautifully painted army however i i don't think the best overall uh, trophy should exist at all. Like, I, and I've actually hmm. mentioned this in my podcast before, like maybe like a year ago now. It's been it's been a while, um, so I might, I might as well just re up my my uh, stances here. Um, but the the and the reason why, before you guys get angry, and I know I know Matt, I know you definitely have stuff to say. Um, it's <laughs> because the the when you have a best overall, when you have something, it, it's kind of just limiting the number of awards you can give. Saying like, okay, like here's here's the best overall, here's the best guy best competition best painting but people are are sac- using it as kind of like a as kind of like a um what's what's the word they're, they're basically shirking their other responsibilities to give awards out so they're like the lvo uh, i'm going to use our own tournaments here as an example um and this isn't calling ourselves out this is just calling the community out in general i'm just gonna use the lvo as an example um the lvo doesn't have or has like a, a paint an external paint competition but the actual championships itself doesn't have like a best salamanders army painted best painted salamanders army or or, or best painted salamanders model it, it doesn't get intricate beyond best overalls is what i'm saying and and i feel like that's that's not you're not going to you're never going to properly recognize the people who deserve it if you if you're not more subjective and a best overall is like is like the exact opposite of a subjective it's just kind of like you're always going to have problems like like uh what with matt with someone who won best overall but they have a worse painted army um and i had another i had another point here but i, I came into this soapbox <laughs> completely unprepared uh because this is something i'm passionate about and have a lot of opinions on um Clearly. but yeah yeah but basically right. if you guys ever want to talk about this you guys can email me frontlinegamingpdpop at gmail.com but the, the long the long the longer the i guess the uh to tie it back down and to put us back on track um the main argument here is that uh i i always think people should just take split the best overall and then keep the two parts of the competition separate and then just focus on giving everyone awards for their paint like maybe like best freehand best display board best uh layering or whatever right whatever you want to do just focus on on the the nitty-gritty parts of the hobby to give people uh their due their due awards right so we can recognize people like like uh maybe uh like um like matt matt has like the best freehand right and so he does he deserves having the best freehand or like uh you know brandon miner's like the best speed painter and he can just say like i speed painted this army like a week before the lvo and then he like videotaped it and it's like this army that he just started in you know or whatever i don't know i don't know where you guys can go with it i'm not gonna go on too much on that um, but go ahead, I think Matt. you already have, yeah. <laughs> so one thing I'm going to, you mentioned that like we don't look at the hobby as being competitive. Mm-hmm. And I still don't think that a hobby track being like a, an award now makes it competitive. Like my I, arm, I, I would never, ever say to somebody, even if I painted my stuff, 
and they it said, my stuff is better than your stuff. You know what I mean? My army's painted better than your army. I would never say that because I feel like hobby and the hobby track, it generates more money for the community as well. Like think about how many commission painters are out there now that yeah. rely on people to get stuff painted so they can support themselves, you know, because mm-hmm. there definitely are. And, and I think that did go away in 7th. And the reason that it did go away in 7th for a bit is because there's a book coming out every couple of weeks that's changing the game. Like, yeah. you, you know, you, it's too hard to keep up with that kind of stuff. If you're paying somebody to paint your stuff it and you want to stay competitive, you cannot keep up with it. It's just, it's impossible. Um, and I also think that the hobby track, it's bringing out a better hobby. Like people are getting a better experience because now people are coming with painted armies now, like all painted, not just three colors with like slashes with the paintbrush. Like people are coming with fully painted armies. They're based. They might be not be the best quality, but nobody's going up to you and saying, hey man, like that looks like crap. Like you should go back to the drawing board because in reality, you know, Scott Bowser didn't just wake up one day and was an amazing painter. You know, it took time to and an effort into learning these techniques and getting better. And there's so many techniques you can go on the internet now and, and learn to become a, a decent painter on your own. But again, it's all what you put into it, right? So for myself, um, I don't have a lot of time and that maybe that's an excuse for me because I don't want to constantly be paying or playing or paint and, and build. And when I can do other hobbies and then just get stuff commissioned painted for myself, um, Winning awards is definitely like something cool and it's like something to strive for. But in the end of the day, I'm, I'm not going to go to a judge and be like, Hey man, I really think I should have won that versus like maybe a rules argument in a game. If that makes sense. Um, well, I think it, it's a little bit tough because there is certainly a, an amount of subjectivity to it that it's hard to say, you know, your army is better than we're just going to pull, you know, Isabella's army, you know, is, does it look better? I don't know. I mean, you can say I like one army better, but it's hard to say which one is better in an absolute sense. Like technically is like really all you can judge it by, right? Yeah. "Eh, I mean, well, you can judge techniques used, complicated techniques used. That is, that is technically the, the the, the technical skill involved in, creating the army is what he means when he says technically i think yeah, yeah oh, okay technical ability yeah. yeah yeah but there is some value in the appeal factor of like you know do people like this army um yeah. i think yeah. there is some value some tournaments combine both um i believe storm and harvester for yeah. the uh the ones out in spokane for those who are not familiar in the northwest um they both use both a rubric where the judges will grade everyone based on a explicit, uh, you know, technical skill at metric, as well as additional points for favorite army votes. And they're yeah. separate. Like, that's a separate thing, right? Oh, separate is it? Award. Okay, I may be misremembering that. So, but well, yeah, I know they do both. Well, well, and, and here's here's the beauty of, of, of judging art. And um, I'm going to go with one more lowrider analogy, but I promise you guys are going to enjoy it. It's really <laughs> this funny. Is a, this is a 40K um, show, not a car show, Pop. <laughs> right, right. Well, it's, it, it ties into... Uh, it ties into 
to um, rubrics and people trying to game the system. Because I think that's ultimately what, what you're going to try and get if you don't include that kind of like opinion, like does this look good into your judging. Um, and there was a, a lowrider uh, person named Chris Rourke. Um, he had a Frankenstein monster car. It was just like a car designed to maximize points, right? It, it, it was ugly. It was terrible, awful. But, it, you know, at face value, if you were to go by the rubric, it had all of the notches on the rubric. But at the end, when he tried competing, he lost. Um, and it was this, like, big upset because he'd been winning because everyone was like, go by the rubric. And there was this big divide in the community. Um, he ended up losing because the, the, the heads of the Lowrider magazine were like, yeah, your car just doesn't look good. Like, it's just like it's clearly abusing the system. Um, and, and I think that's that's something that that um, will always be inherently part of 40K, uh, which is why I think we, we can succeed with the hobby track. Why we can when we go into the hobby track, we can have like paint studio sponsors, you know, uh, that that focus on putting armies into the hobby track to further their business, which only helps us, by the way. Oh, it does. Right. Yeah. It's, so it's, so. It's all um, about building community, just like exactly. anything else. Yeah. Right, right. We'll we'll get judges who are specifically designed, who have these like five page rubrics to grade armies and bring their rubrics and come to these events and, and really, you know, show off a new aspect of the of the competitive hobby that we haven't seen before. Right. I feel like like there's room to grow with the introduction of the hobby track, um, and I, I and our community is is designed already has the the I guess the mentality to improve on it. It's just, we just have to start doing it. That's, that's basically it. Well, and, and then there's another thing, like I can say that I have done poorly in appearance based on not painting my stuff. I know I've been docked points before for not painting mm-hmm. my own army. And that's not something I'm going to ever argue. You know, do I feel yeah. like I deserve to win uh, in a painting award, which I have never won a painting award. I will say mm. Um, my that army That's is never surprising. Won. I know it's never won an award, but even if I did win an award with it, like my second overall trophy, um, the my artist has that on his website. Like that belongs to him and myself. I won yeah. the games. He painted the army, man. Like this is it's something like again, it's all part of the community. It's something that we can share and be. You know, this army won second overall at the LVO. You know? Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. it, and that's just this army. It was done by you know Dark Bunny Studios or Frontline Gaming Studio or or Jeff or whoever, right? Like that. That's that's ultimately the goal is that we put out a product for people to consume and go like, ah, oh, cool, like model porn. You know, not not the yeah. not the human kind, but the painted <laughs> model kind. Um, but <laughs> you can uh, have both. You can have both. <laughs> but uh, the the point is, is that that that's the goal, and I, and I feel like anyone who argues against um the hobby tractor against uh, paint studios putting out armies. Um, I feel like they're, like they're missing the bigger picture. Um, and I might be wrong, but, yeah. but I, I feel like they're missing the bigger picture and that like, that's the end goal. That's like, could you imagine? Goal, yeah. Could you imagine yeah. like frontline gaming putting out like this gorgeous Harlequin army that that's like infinite everyone. It inspires people to pick up paintbrushes sure and does. start painting. Like that's how beautiful it is. They put it out here, right? It wins the hobby track. You're going to get the grumbling people who are like, well, yeah, Pablo won with that Harlequin army and he didn't paint it himself. Like, yeah, but, but think about think about the, the, the Instagram followers and, and, and like all the people who see mm-hmm. that and go like, wow, that looks freaking amazing. It's like an, uh, an avatar floating thing, like skewering a demon prince and it's, there's like fire. You know, it's like it's really it's this amazing spectacle. 
and yeah. and they're going to they're going to jump into it like that. That's great. Like that. And and I'm going to call those people out right here and now in terms of like, oh, you didn't paint that army. You don't deserve it. It's like, you know what? You didn't sculpt those models you painted. You don't deserve <laughs> the win either. Because GW makes gorgeous models. You can't uh, you, you you can't you can't shine it's a turd. True. There are reasons why Space Marine players get discriminated against in the hobby. And then Matt's not the only one. You know, yeah. like Frankie and his Minotaurs didn't win as many awards as his Dark Eldar, and Frankie argues that his Minotaurs were were supposed to look as good as his Dark Eldar, right? So it's they like, looked at least as good. They were gorgeous. Yeah, the, the spa- but the Space Marine players, Space Marines, they're like, oh, they're Space Marines. Like, there's there's no way they're easy to paint. They have no, you know, they have a bunch of detail, like whatnot. Versus like Eldar, Harlequins, and Chaos armies, especially Nurgle, Chaos Demons armies. By the way, guys, mm-hmm. so a competitive tip for you for you players who who want to compete. Um, if you really want to do well in the hobby track, use armies that have gorgeous, easy to convert, fun models like orcs. Orc players kill in the hobby oh, track across the board. They've got all these cool conversion opportunities. They can go any color they want. They can they can just abuse the color pie. Uh, <laughs> Chaos specifically, Nurgle done like game over. Harlequins, Eldar or uh, Harlequins specifically, but Eldar and Dark Eldar can kind of do it off too. Pull it off too. Yeah. Those three armies, you're gonna you're gonna kill. You know, uh, you could have a play a, a person who's a an amazing painter and another person who's an amazing painter, and have them compete. If you give the guy the, uh, the if you give one of them a space marine army, I, I I guarantee you he's gonna lose like like seven times out of ten. It's just <laughs> it's just happens. Even Tau, the thing. Even Tau, Tau, Tau can look pretty good yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. And, I don't know. And, Space Marines do have some really good-looking models, which I think that counts <laughs> yeah. for a lot. I've had this it, argument a couple times with a couple guys actually, and I go, I take Mortarian for instance. I go, uh-huh. he's like, you should model every every model in your your army. You should convert it. And I go, look at Oof. this model. Why yeah. would you? Chop Why would you convert Mortarian? Like, there's exactly. not a lot to do with that guy. Yeah, right. like, and even if there was, like. They produce these amazing models. Like, if I was going to make everyone myself, like, what do I need G-Dub for? You know what I mean? Right. Like, <laughs> I mean, I love converting more than painting, but I there are some models that I won't convert because they're just like, I don't, I don't need to ruin this. And i got to yeah. give you some credit, Sean, because you, you brought some pretty crazy conversions, in my opinion. I, uh, I try to make good-looking conversions, even Cause... I know I'm not the best painter, I'm not the fastest painter, but I try to at least make things look tabletop standard, but conversion is what my real love is. Dude, I love those, converting models. Those cold stores were legit, man. Like, Thank it, you. They were... They are. <laughs> it, it, yeah. it helps that they're not garbage now. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. it's funny, because like, my team, I play on the, play on the BC Battle Brothers, um, uh-huh. everyone on my team could win Hobby Track every year anytime um, oh yeah see i'm the only one that doesn't paint everybody else paints <laughs> unreal and always wins the awards for sportsmanship and painting so it's hard being the the odd man out on your team <laughs> see, huh? like, and that's what i gotta compete with right so like if you were to look like on we have like an instagram page and all the different armies on there like there's some legit armies on there to take a look at it's it's pretty crazy and like sean scene i have a sisters of battle army that's painted better than my salamander army so yeah yeah so just waiting for a it's book kind of gorgeous <laughs> oh there are so many i guarantee you day one that sister's book comes out you will see them appear from oh, yeah. everywhere we will see yeah. hundreds of them absolutely another way it's gonna be as bad color. as fifth edition gray knights <laughs> fifth edition gray knights. yeah 
The demon hunters, you mean? <laughs> no gray knights in fifth. Yeah, when they got that book at the end of fifth, and everyone always whined about how every tournament was ninety percent gray knights. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, gray knights are just cool, man. There's always going to be armies that are cool. just they're just cool. Like people are always going to want to run. Like Death yeah. Watch. If if so GW cool. ever made Death Watch competitive, you would see Death Watch armies everywhere. Uh, They've helped a little. <laughs> it's it's a lot better now. I think yeah, Death Watch. They're like like Eldar. I'm talking like Eldar competitive, Sean. Oh jeez. Yeah, People, there would be Death Watch armies everywhere. It'd be, it'd be silly. It'd be like Space Marine <laughs> Battle Companies all over again. Let's not have that. <laughs> uh, anyways, so so uh, there's there's a lot more here that in this subject that we could definitely go on. Uh, though we are running short on time, so we're going to go ahead and um, move on to the final part of the conversation. And that's we're going to talk about narrative campaigns. Um, but just a little quick backstory. Um, the reason why we're talking about narrative campaigns is there was a a person, an individual. Um, who reached out to me and you, you know who you are. I forgot how you reached out to me. I lost your message, email, text, wh- however, I don't know how you reached out to me. So, um, whoever you are, you know, this is for you. Um, but he requested that we talk about, uh, tactics in narrative campaigns and kind of talk about that competitive part of 40 K. And, and this is the component of 40 K podcast, for all aspects of, of competitive 40k. So I feel like we could talk a little bit about narrative campaigns um, and being competitive in narrative campaigns because it, they are ultimately a different beast, right? Yeah. Um, well, if yeah. if Val and Jeff are never going to let me forget the fact that I went to the narrative at LVO rather than the competitive side And you destroyed year, people. I may as well. You, I, you, I didn't destroy just, everyone. You, there but... were people coming up to me complaining about the two Eldar players on the really? table, and <laughs> and I, when I saw it was Sean and uh, a guy a guy here at our, our local guy named Kevin Duffy, um, uh-huh. two really nice guys by the way. Uh, but it was Sean and Kevin were playing at the uh. table, and I was like, oh my gosh, those poor orc players on that table, and and I was told that you guys tabled them, and then uh, on one of them, yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah. <laughs> there was some there was some bloody bloody games, so. Um, so what? Yeah. Where where do we want to start with this? What do we want to sort of make our focus? So, do we want so to talk let's talk about, about a, a a true narrative campaign. So let's talk about because there's different kinds, right? There's okay. there's like the narrative campaign you have in like your friend's basement where you guys all just get together, shoot the shit. Maybe Calgar kills a swarm lord. You know, whatever. You guys have a great time, right? Um, and then there's the narrative campaigns that, as someone uh, an attendant at Delvio three years ago said, that are just too much. They're just way too much that's why i asked him he's a he's a loves narrative campaigns and asked him why he wasn't playing in it and he said that he just wanted to play in 40k casuals because narrative campaigns that are that large to that scale are just too they're too competitive for him they're too much and that that makes perfect sense because the the a narrative campaign is not just like we're gonna drink beer shoot the shit and not have fun like it's it has all the aspects of a team event Right, you you have a team you're who are relying on you to do well. If you perform poorly, you you can severely ruin the the I, I guess the immersion or the the fun for your teammates. Right, like if you make like a bonehead mood, you're like, uh, Gazgolthraka is gonna charge this wave serpent for no reason instead of staying on this relic that unlocks like a mega stampa for the orcs. Right, mm-hmm. like like derp. I just want to kill stuff with like you're gonna get you're gonna get you know verbally harassed. By all the other orc players, you're like really, Gaz. You you're wasting Gazgol's charge on a wave serpent when you could be unlocking a Stampa for us. Like, it, there, so there is a competitive aspect to 
to narrative games. And also, I, I the reason why I love narrative campaigns is because the competitive the competitive aspect relies less on playing, although though there's definitely a playing skill to it, and more on list building, um, because you're you're inherently limiting yourself. Yeah. Right. What what I would say is the big difference between tournament competitive gaming and well, I guess what we'll call narrative competitive gaming, which I think is a little bit of a misnomer, but it, it'll suffice for our uses here. Um, the really important distinction there is your goal. In a tournament, for a tournament competitive player, your goal is typically to perform as well as possible at the tournament. It's not true for everyone. Obviously, Matt is a good example of other ways you can approach it. You may say, I want to do as well as I can with this army or under these other limitations. Um, But typically, your goal is to win the tournament through good play and good army design. Um, In a narrative campaign, you are setting yourself to a different set of goals, which may be to win the campaign, or it may be to achieve some other goal within the context of the campaign, or it may just to be to make sure that Dave's friggin' orcs don't win this year. Uh, <laughs> but the important thing that distinguishes them is that you have a specific goal, which is probably not win every single game with maximum points. Um, you may be trying to do that as part of another goal. You know, if you what you really want to do is find the secret Necron artifact, you may need to win all your games to do that, but your goal was not to win all your games. Your goal was to find the secret Necron artifacts. Um, right. And especially in the context of that goal, you are attempting to do so with an army that makes narrative sense, which is sometimes something that players struggle a lot with. Now, personally, I really enjoy the narrative aspects of the game um, and the the backstory. I love the 40K's fluff. Uh, At the local tournaments that we run, not only do we give out prizes for painting, overall sportsmanship, and generalship, we also give a point a prize for best fluff because we ask everyone to submit a short story or description of their army. Oh, beautiful. Um, And I think that's an aspect that's often missed out on, Uh, but it's one that I really like. Even in tournaments where that's not an aspect, I like to bring something along to describe my army's fluff, because you can have a lot of fun with that, even if you were playing a very competitive army, because there's, there's always a way to make your fluff mean something. And you may look at five fire raptors, a baden, and two squads of horrors and say, that's just stupid, there's no way that would ever happen. But there can be a reason for anything, and crafting the story behind that is part of the narrative game. And I think that's something that a lot of people aren't used to doing, but it can be a ton of fun to do. But that's what this game was built off of. It was. and creative minds that eventually led to the competitive aspect. But this game, I never, when I first started playing it, it was all narrative. Like, as a kid, it's all like, oh, yeah, Marius charges into your, you know... Like, your Hive Tyrant, exactly, and you have, uh-huh. like, five models on the board, but you're always playing special characters because you love that aspect of the game. Yep. The special characters, and even if they're not special characters, the characters are special to you, yeah. and I think that's part of what the sort of the mindset you need to take in if you want to do a narrative game, is yeah. that your models are no longer just pieces on the board, they're parts in a story. And you want to make an army that makes a good story while also making a good game. Yeah. And and the way you do that is, um, first off, you don't spam. 
right? Uh, just in just in general, unless well, your army, unless it, 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 it narratively and this makes is, sense. Like if and you have this like a green comes horde. back around to the fluff and the backstory mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. you know, ma- if you take a hundred and twenty cultists in your chaos army. What does that say about your army, and what does that say about your army's story? You can build any army you want in a narrative army and in a narrative game and have it make sense, but well, you not want any your story. Army. Well, explain you, three knights in Gilliman. You can. Oh, I mean, I'm sure I, you can. Explain yeah. one fire raptor, one knight, Gilliman, and and uh, five termagons. You give me ten minutes, I can explain literally any <laughs> army that, that it is, is true. legal that, to make. That, that, that is that is true. But um, it's but not all those armies are necessarily going to be equally immersive or equally fun for your opponents. And that right. is something you do need to keep in mind. Is in a narrative game, the expected level of competition is typically a little bit lower. It's not as low as people tend to think. There are some. People who play narrative campaigns want to win games, too, it turns out. Um, But it is not expected that everyone will bring the most optimal units and nothing but the most optimal units. And you have to take that into account to some degree. Yeah. So so, uh, another thing you need to do when you're building your narrative campaign army, uh, besides Sean, which is a great, great point in that you should always factor in fluff when you're building... Um, is to bring more than what you can play with, so you can mix up your army between games. Yes. Um, it, because the scenario is building your army towards scenarios is just as important as building your armies towards fluff. For example, if you have uh five hundred point scouting scenarios where you're just kind of like playing like little kill team smaller games, um, but they're still important towards the overarching storyline. You're not gonna you're not gonna put like Calgar and five Terminators up against what should be a scout party of, like, of, of, of Chaos Space Marine guys. You know, like and a bunch honestly, of... Like, even if you do, you're probably not going to win that game, because hopefully the scenario not. makes it so that, you know, Calgar and those Terminators are just not going to do well. Right, right. But you should have, like, scout parties. You should have, you know, Pathfinders, Space Marine scout bikes, mm-hmm. um, not named characters, you know, uh, in maybe Sergeant Hellion, but But in general, you shouldn't have your big heavy hitting stuff in the earlier on campaigns and then vice versa on the opposite side, when you get to inevitably to that big APOC battle that every narrative campaign <laughs> tends to go towards, um, you, you know, you, you're not going to want to run just like an army of scouts. You know, you should probably bring like a Lord of War or, or a large, like maybe like 20 Thunderhammer Stormshield Terminators, like something that's like, like big and something that would actually be impactful in an, in an actual real life narrative fight. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So you should you should bring more than what you have points for as as much as you can, and then and then be aware that that you're gonna have to craft different. Li- I mean, this is this is like assuming a, a large narrative campaign that actually has these moving scenarios. Um, you Before know, speaking of campaigns, I think it can be safely assumed that there are yeah. going to be multiple different missions that sort of chain together in an interesting way. I mean, that's the yeah. fundamental nature of a narrative campaign. That's true. Yeah. So so just uh just remember that. Um, so you should probably design like a larger force. Like what I usually go through is I usually build like a space marine chapter or not a chapter, a company. Um, so I'll have like one ca- captain. I usually name, name him Captain Pablonius, because I'm <laughs> Pablo. Um, and, and then I have uh, maybe one unit of Sternguard veterans, one like elite unit that I I sparingly use. And if they die, like uh, I remember I, I used Sternguard veterans in a narrative campaign. 
um, on the second mission, and they were like my elite. Like we're we're going to stay back here and protect this little forward operating base while the rest of the scouts all kind of like did their thing, and uh, the space marine lieutenant kind of hung out and with the stern guard, and they got they got uh, they got kicked out, flushed out by a chaos lord. And they were like, oh shit, we can't deal with this guy. And they moved out, and then they got killed by predators with las cannons. Oops. And I was like, okay, these Sternguard veterans are, are they're dead. They're like, and I never <laughs> used them the whole campaign. I was like, you know what? They're gone. <laughs> they're, they're, they've, yeah. they've been obliterated. They are done. I, I, I used them poorly. I should have just stayed in the building and, and fought the Chaos Lord. Um, but just, you know, just stuff like that helps a lot, um, you know, especially My... if you bring like powerful stuff and your opponent's yeah. getting a little salty. Well, yeah, and you do have to be ready to adjust your list a little bit to make it a fun game for both sides. Right. Um, I, I certainly did some of that at the LVO narrative. Uh, but my philosophy is kind of that I build maybe like a thousand points of core units that represents the fundamental identity of your force. Um, in my case at the tournament, it was a couple wave serpents full of guardians, my, far, my Farseer and Autark, who both kind of were important characters to my fluff and were kind of competing for control of the forces there. Uh, and then a handful of swooping hawks to represent this very fast-moving Eldar force. And then, depending on the scenario, I would either add or remove a few parts to represent more particular task forces that were designed to go out and do specific things. And I think that's a good way to look at it, is figure out what represents the most fundamental part of your army that you're always going to want to have in most every scenario, and then figure out what you can add and subtract from that to make points. Sean, did you play Fire Prisms in the narrative? I did. That was actually how I discovered how good fire prisms were. Um, <laughs> You're like, oh, because... these have been bad for several editions. <laughs> yes, use these. and I had a couple of fire prisms that I had painted up a while back because I love that model. It's it's pretty gorgeous, especially the new plastic one. And I got paired up with one of the other Eldar players because I was on the advanced Xenos team, and we were fighting a bunch of Tyranids as well as some uh, orcs and other stuff, and I believe we had a Harlequin player on our team, and turn one, those fire prisms opened up. And between my two and his one, we vaporized three monstrous creatures, including a, a uh, hive tyrant protected by a unit of tyrant guard. And we both kind of looked at each other and were like, huh, these things are pretty good. <laughs> um, and that pattern repeated itself uh, a couple times throughout the, the course of the games. The, the final round of the tournament saw us facing down an enormous chaos, especially Nurgle army, and Fire Prisms shot across the table and annihilated their corrupted Baneblade. Um, of course, those, those Fire Prisms also Aww. spent several turns shooting at Typhus by his lonesome without doing a single wound to him, but that's another story. Typhus is just, that's the heroics, man. He's, he, he's Typhus, he's really got plot was. armor. Ty Typhus and a uh, non-named version of him, the, the Nurgle uh, Lord of Contagion, I think he's called, uh, deep-struck into our backfield next to all those fire prisms that were causing havoc. Both succeeded their charges, and then spent several turns chasing fire prisms around the table as they shot at them ineffectually. And uh, <laughs> only the Avatar of Cain managed to sneak in and then end those shenanigans. It was it was actually surprisingly appropriately thematic. 
Right on. And, and this game is kind of designed for that, right? I feel I always felt like GW did a good job uh, doing their best to represent how how units should be played and how they are represented in the fluff and how they should like how they should feel to be played, right? Like the scouts are all very like scouty and and the the beat stick characters are all very beat sticky, you know? Like nothing feels off. You know, Eight which is has important. really made that work. I I had a series of articles back in si- in seventh edition uh, about joking about how various units did not live up to their fluff reputation. You know, gene stealers that oh, would I love that. charge I love that into article. terrain and strike at initiative one, so guardsmen would sack beat them to death before they had a chance to do anything. And it it basically made fun of all of these terrible, terrible units and how they didn't do what they were supposed to. And in eighth edition, I can't write those articles anymore because those units are all of a sudden good now. It's like gene stealers are murderous in close combat and pyrovores really do cut down infantry and Lehman Russes actually are very tough tanks and it's hard to make fun of those units anymore because they do what the label says. Yeah, we should go back to those articles, Sean, and and do a zero to hero story on all those units. <laughs> oh man, that's a pretty <laughs> we'll probably good be idea. shocked. Like I can't believe Gene Steelers are that bad you know, anyways, um that's a podcast. No, that's for actually time. <laughs> Yeah, that's that, that is an interesting Celestine. thing to go over. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, Celestine went from just kind of like this rando chick into everyone's uh-uh. most feared machine. No, no, no. Machine. She was. She was. No, 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 no. She was a hit and run mechanic in Death Stars. Yeah, she was important. She was. She, she was the I, Imperial soup. Uh, no, no. Her keyword was important. Yeah. She did nothing. Honestly, I yeah, like I cause yeah. I, when she got rules in eighth, like she is a beast on her own. I'm really tempted to just like buy Celestine and start an Imperial army just so I can run her because she's, she's so cool. Good. She's pretty cool. Um, all right, guys. Well, I think, I think that's pretty much it. Do you guys have any final thoughts on narrative campaigns? You know, it's it really a lot of it comes down to whoever's organizing the campaign. It's a lot of work for them, but it's a ton of fun for everyone. Yeah. And just try and communicate with your players, figure out what it is everyone wants to do. Uh, because that's an easy mistake to make. But if you come up to the game and say, you know, hey, what are you bringing? And then adjust your list to be more in line with what they have, because everyone has a different idea of what a good list is. I I remember people who used to bring 90 Fire Warriors and think that was a fantastic list last edition, and then you'd also get the people who would bring 12 broadsides and be like, oh yeah, it's okay. (laughs) Uh, yeah, and and I think to expand on that, um, for those of you who who want to be narratively competitive, and I define that as not being the the best player at the narrative campaign, but having the most fun at the narrative campaign by mm-hmm. by having close games and making it just a fun overall campaign for everyone involved. Um, yeah, run your favorite units. That's always yeah. I, every time I felt like I felt myself like min maxing, and I'm like I can't take this Terminator squad because stern guard deep striking and a drop pod put out more damage output, and I can run a cat a character and you know anyway anyways. That's a great point, Pablo. That it yeah. is true because anything anytime you're playing stuff that you love, you're gonna have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I think no one here is better equipped to speak to that point than Matt, because he does it in all his games. All the Look games. how he's doing. He's doing, doing fine. He's running the Leviathan Dreadnought. Sure. Do it. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. Honestly, it's like... It's a cool-looking model. It's a great-looking model. Um, yeah? Yeah. 
Uh, all right, guys, that's all the time we have for today. If you liked this content, um, if you liked this more hobby-focused content, uh, I do apologize. We're probably not going to put out another hobby-focused podcast um, for for a while. Uh, this is more of a competitive-focused podcast, but uh, I and I, I felt like like this is still this is still a podcast we needed to have. Um, you know, there is a competitive aspect to the hobby track and hobbying. Um, and it's, I feel like it's a little untapped. Um, so I'm really glad we had this conversation. Uh, Matt and Sean, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, Matt, what's the Instagram label for your team or handle? Uh, it's the BC Battle Brothers. All... BC Battle Brothers. Yeah. Some gorgeous so, models. Yeah, I very much recommend gorgeous. it. I'm sure you can find Matt's army, Salamander's army on there too. Uh, so check, check them out. Also, if you're interested in emailing me, if you have more to say, if you completely disagree with everything I said and you want to flame me, email me, frontlinegamingpdpob at gmail.com. I do my very best to respond to as many emails as I can. Um, you know, I love you. I love getting your guys' feedback always. So, you know, continue to do that. And also continue to listen and download the show. Um, I feel like we're hitting a lot of popular, uh, I guess, viewership or downloadship uh, milestones. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm constantly humbled by the amount of people who take an hour or two out of their day to listen to me and a couple of buddies talk about playing with our toy soldiers. Um, so thank you guys very much for listening and as always have a good one.